I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Megan, we're here for season two, episode seven. We uh, are, and this is one of my very favorites of all time. Is I it? love this episode. And I'm not entirely sure why, aside from the fact that it's set at Chili's, and that's always really a safe bet for me to love an episode. Definitely. But I want you, over the course of our episode, to help me figure out why. <laughs> like, what is it about this episode that connects with me so much? So when you say it's one of your favorites, is it one that you rewatch a lot, or you think about a lot, or, or yeah, like, what does that mean? Say one that I rewatch a lot, that I'm always excited when it comes up in the line, you know, if I'm just going through and re-watching, when I hit this one, I'm always excited about it. It just feels very memorable and very fun. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it went down real easy for me. Like, I didn't even take <laughs> that many notes. I was just sort of sucked in. And so it'd be interesting yeah. to think why. Like, it does seem, it's very zippy in a way. <laughs> like, it moves uh, as opposed to the fight where we had some of those fight scenes in the last one that I oh, felt like kind of yeah dragged but um but yeah I don't know this one's a really interesting episode so I'm really excited to talk about it yeah. um we're, you, oh go ahead yeah I'm just thinking as you mentioned the fight do you think there's a theme of episodes that you like less and it's the athletically based episodes <laughs> that's definitely <laughs> clear so far because the basketball one and this one I do I would argue though that like, I mean, well, definitely it's, you know, physical stuff, but I do think those episodes, at least for me, like you have to really enjoy the improv kind of vibe of them, you know, trying to find funny elements in a basketball game or a, or a whatever martial arts match. Um, and like, those things are not as funny for, for me as, as much as I like, like physical comedy, um, I think, uh, yeah, like I'm looking for a little more like repartee or something ironic or, you know, it just, it doesn't always stick with me as well. So, um, maybe that's it, but yeah, it'd be interesting to kind of go through here and notice like which episodes we really are drawn towards and which ones we, we aren't and, <laughs> and how yeah. that's filtered by our deep biases against certain things like athletics. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> or our love of chilies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can really <laughs> we can really relate. Did we even mention that this episode is the client? Uh I did not. I didn't say the name. Yeah, the client. I might have just jumped right into my passion for the episode. So I'm listen for that. We're well, before, <laughs> before I read the uh the summary of it, are there any things you wanted to say about uh last uh podcast or just in general in the world of the office? You know. I don't have any revisions and regrets this week, which I typically do, but um, I wasn't too mean to any of the characters, so I didn't have anything I felt like I had to revoke the next week. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have anything. What about you? Uh, I was thinking, well, just as we were like, oh yeah, that was what we did. You know, we did the fight and I was really enjoyed our conversation about uh, like, I don't know, the Michael Dwight relationship. And um, that kind of came some, the more I remembered that that was the previous episode, because it's been quite a while since we recorded that, I think, or at least a, a week or two. Um, 
I kept thinking about like, oh, were these shot in order or not? And like, what would it mean to think about this episode sort of carrying on the, the narrative of Dwight and Michael's uh, ambivalent friendship? Um, so that was the only thing that, you know, it'd be, it'd be interesting to think about the last episode in relationship to this one a little bit. Yeah. Um, oh, that's really interesting. And I haven't thought much about that, but in some ways it's so in some ways the show doesn't have that much of a, well, I guess I feel like there are elements of it that have a trajectory kind yeah. of across the season, but there are a lot of things that don't yeah, and that don't need to be in any kind of sequence. So that's kind of interesting. You know, one of the other things actually I thought about a little bit afterward that I'd forgotten was we talked about the relationship between fighting and flirting. And I started yes. to wonder back to... Uh, Jim moving Dwight's desk into the bathroom if like how pranking also fits in with that because uh, there's something kind of flirtatious about pranking yeah definitely definitely and a lot of those like prank things on YouTube or TikTok or whatever I feel like a lot of them are often directed at somebody's like significant other or partner right like oh yeah um, so there's that you know kind of weird ambivalence underneath yeah. the prank um but definitely yeah no I love this idea of pranking flirting and fighting yeah that reminds me when I was growing up my dad used to think he was a hilarious prankster really not actually successful in this area at all but he would do things like tie our shoes together so that in the morning we'd get up you know to go to school and put our shoes on and they would just be tied together <laughs> really dumb stuff like that but like you know when is pranking sort of about love and is it ever about hate mm. you know Jim is like Dwight is Jim antagonist but at the same time pranking somebody is also a way of kind of reeling them in and maintaining a sort of closeness to them like it gives them a lot of attention right and engages them a lot a prank is not that different from like a gift, right? Or like a surprise party. Except, oh. <laughs> I mean, the emotions are different, but the, yeah, like you have to plan ahead. You have to think about what the person's reactions are going to be. You have to kind <laughs> of like stage it in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a level of, like you say, it's like a level of attention or, um, yeah, that's, that's very, um, intense to some degree um and usually pranks are not meant to be like the difference between I suppose a prank and like bullying would be that the prank is supposedly out of love and so that afterwards you laugh and it's like oh my god you got me and it, uh -huh. and it's going to be reciprocated or something but that's that's I maybe that's why sometimes I'm like oh is Jim bullying Dwight <laughs> because it's like non-reciprocal and yeah it's not, uh, I don't, it's unclear how much affection is in there. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to come back to that. Um, the only other thing I was going to say is we are recording on Valentine's Day, uh, which is a day that means nothing to either of us. Uh, but <laughs> I was kind of curious whether, is there a Valentine's Day office episode you know you know my love of a holiday episode so I was just curious yeah we're definitely gonna get some valentine's day really 
yeah, there's some Valentine's enthusiasm among characters on the show. Fascinating. Okay. All right. Yeah, you're going to have some holiday, some additional holiday episodes to look forward to in the form of Valentine's Day. All right. I look forward to it. Well, with that, let's dive in. So this is season two, episode seven, The Client. Uh, and in this episode, Jan heads to Chili's with Michael and cringes at his strategies for winning over a new client. Um, I thought maybe we could start, though, with the cold open. Um, and uh, in this cold open, we've got Ryan uh, picking up dry cleaning and in particular, uh, Michael's <laughs> dry cleaned Levi's, um, which, as Pam explains, uh, he, he seems to feel very confident in. Um, and uh, some, there's something magical happens when he puts on his dry cleaned uh, Levi jeans. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was kind of curious your thoughts on, is this a good cold open and, and any thoughts on this cold open in particular? Tyler, thank you for getting right to it. I think this <laughs> is a brilliant opening. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Why? Not entirely sure. <laughs> I think there's something about these really creative interesting details that make me think I think they make me impressed with the writing because I'm like who came up with this the dry cleaning of jeans but it is just so perfect so there are two things so there are the jeans and his lucky tie and we will get to know his lucky tie more later in the episode when he's at Chili's mm. yeah, but Ryan walks in with him and asks who dry cleans jeans and Pam just when he sees him coming in with the jeans, just has this great kind of smile about it. And it goes to the interview, an interview with her. And she says, Michael and his jeans, he gets in them. And I'm not exactly sure what happens, but I can tell you, he loves the way he looks in those jeans. And then they splice together these images of Michael and his jeans. One of them, he's lifting those weights. You know, he's doing like tricep lifts <laughs> up on the little side table with cowboy boots kind of dancing. I don't know. It just brings out some real Michael flair. Yeah. I, well, okay. I have to admit, I thought he looked good in those jeans. He looks great in those jeans. I think he looks really good in those jeans. I was like, all right, Michael, like, okay. <laughs> I, I, maybe, maybe I get it. Maybe I get it now. It's a good fit. They didn't, I was thinking I was, there's some, I feel like I've seen some show but I can't remember which show where somebody has their jeans like over starched or something like it might even be like a queer eye episode or something like that. But so I thought we were going to go in that direction, like that he gets them dry clean, but then like they're super creased or pleated or I don't know, something. Oh, yeah. um, so to me, it was setting up this joke of like, oh, he doesn't look good in those jeans, but he kind of does. So I thought that was even funnier to me was that yeah. like, oh, no, like he's got it. He's got a little swagger or whatever. Um, but I love the joke that this is why he started Casual Friday, so that he has a reason. <laughs> yes. That's then, interesting. So the thing, the thing you said about it, you're like expecting one thing when he dry cleans jeans and that they will have a level of sort of awkward formality, maybe that defies the sort of aura of jeans. Mm -hmm. The stuff he's doing in them is all very active. <laughs> you know, yeah. thing, like, walking around with his feet in garbage cans. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. 
none of it suggests the dry cleaning would be necessary. No. No, no. But he just likes to treat his jeans with respect. Yeah. And and that's um, you know, that's his his attention to uh detail is I guess perhaps what <laughs> wins this client. But this yeah. is my question. Okay. Why does Pam throw them under the desk? Because I was like, well, was he intending to wear those to the meeting? And so she's kind of saving him? Or is she like, I don't want him to like, you know, put on these jeans and have his and do crazy stuff, which apparently he like, <laughs> what was your read on why she throws them okay. under the desk? That's funny. I just, I just took it that she like a kind of eye rolling move. Like this is so ridiculous. He's dry cleaning these things, but I'm just going to kind of wrap them up in a ball. Cause she kind of like flings them a little bit around the hanger and then tosses them under. So she is not paying the respect to Michael's jeans that he wants paid to. Right. right. <laughs> and part, I actually wonder if it's something for him about that specific pair of jeans. So he's trying to maintain it because dry cleaning is gentler. Mm. Right. Oh, so right. Going through the washer and dryer. I wonder if that's a level of wear and tear on his jeans. That he doesn't want to see, but Pam does not have, she does not respect jeans mm -mm, mm -mm. <laughs> or at least Michael's. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought, I thought this is a really funny cold open. Uh, and it got me thinking like what makes for a cold, a good cold open on this show. Um, Here's a question. Yeah. Before you answer that, what even does cold open mean? Why is it called a cold open? Because uh, it is that. I hear that all the time. And I don't know quite what the thing is. I'm not sure the origin of that. Other uh, the the so yeah, I'm just gonna uh, guess. <laughs> but like the context in which I heard it first was like SNL. And so I think it would be like it just open the show opens without any introduction without credits without whatever we're thrown in into the oh. middle and um yeah, for a for a brief period of time a scene or two scenes or whatever and then you get your or one scene probably and then you get your credits or something like that i mean that's how it is on snl is oh, like there's a full yeah, okay sketch. um yes i don't know if that's the that makes why sense. would you call it cold though so like there must be i mean i'm going in cold like you haven't warmed up the audience or something like did you just kind of jump right in I yeah that would make sense things now to research related to cold that <laughs> we probably never actually researched but one was from last time and the evolution of the hot cold game oh yeah i meant to look that okay all right we have story of the warmer warmer cold <laughs> and all right i'm putting that down but, okay so you were gonna say sorry that took us on way too much of a no i love that it's a great you question. were going to say what you think makes a good cold open in this show well it is interesting just that even these kinds of sitcoms have cold opens right because like there was definitely a time when a sitcom would start with the um like the song or the whatever and the net and the necessity of the song i think was that it would tell you the premise so if you haven't been watching you could just get the premise from the song and then dive into the show but now you know partly 
I guess, because of binging, but also like, you know, we don't have, I mean, I imagine that the shrinking of the theme song was about time. Like we want to fit in more story and we need to fit in X amount of commercial breaks. So just like compressing the theme songs down to very brief, you know, anyway, I, so I don't know, maybe the cold open is allows you to get in one extra joke or something like that. I don't know. But in this show, I, I I don't know. It's interesting because the cold open doesn't really bring up much story, although it does in this case, right? Like he gets the lucky tie that he's going to wear. But what made me feel like this was a very good one. It wasn't just that it ended with a joke, like a, her tossing it under the desk, although that was very like snappy. Mm -hmm. Um, something about the montage, like having her interview intercut Mm -hmm. with his like silliness. I just re like that hit for me. I was like, this is definitive of what the office's style is. It was like something about the juxtaposition of those narrations with, Mm -hmm. you know, the mundane stupidity of office life. I don't know. It, it really worked for me. Yeah. You're right. That montage thing, like it enables them to um stuff in all, all this all this other kind of information or context really quickly that shows us just gives us a really delightful <laughs> glimpse outside of the actual episode itself um and to do it quickly it, like it's so efficient but it just kind of i don't know fills out fills out michael and his wardrobe yeah, and even the idea that there is casual Friday now, right? Like yeah. that gives us Which this extra. Ever happens again. <laughs> yeah, I know. I want there should be an episode about that, right? Yeah, I feel like we're never in the office on a Friday. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that yeah. is a question I did have about like what day is it, but also what time of day is it in this episode? Because like when Pam and Jim are up on the roof, I'm like, how late is it? Yeah, and so the meeting has to have started later so I guess is Ryan's got at first I always think of him entering in the morning right but it's got to be more midday when he's gone out like he's gone out on an errand for Mm. Mike to pick up his dry cleaning which is an interesting use of the temp (laughs) but he's gone out to pick up Michael's dry cleaning and he comes back yeah and he says the meeting's only going to take an hour Sorry, yeah. Yeah, Jan's yeah, it's only gonna take an hour. Boy, is she wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to that part then, maybe. So uh the next scene is the um yeah, them kind of planning out their uh strategy. And here's where we discover that um it's a big deal because it's Lackawanna County. Yeah. Uh, and that the, the, the I, I found Jim's whole thing amusing where he's like, you know, if they don't downsize us, which brings us back. I mean, that's kind of like the thing in the, from the very first episode, right, is that downsizing is on yeah. the table. And it to go back to what you had said at the beginning, like there's very few overarching narratives. This is barely even a narrative, but it comes back or flickers in and out. And yeah, that's right. I'm just always struck by his reaction of like, oh, I could work here forever feels so different than the moment we're in now, like that a character would be grateful to have a steady job now, if, as opposed to then where it's like, oh God, having like a steady, well-paying job 
how <laughs> awful that is, you know. I mean, obviously it sucks too, um, but uh-huh. it's just a different, felt like a really different moment. But uh-huh. um, yeah, Michael has shifted the meeting from the Radisson to Chili's. Good so choice. Good, great choice. Turns out to be a great choice. And I think that I would love to discuss Michael's sales style and Jan's style. Yeah. And what does Michael teach us in this episode about business and about persuasion? He was Mm. trying before in past episodes, he wants to be Ryan's teacher. You know, he wants to teach him about business and he is not good in terms of the textbook concepts, but I think based on this episode, Michael does have some things to offer, but it starts out. So Jan is laying out all of these documents on the table and things that have charts. Michael makes the comment about, you know, charts and graphs looks like USA Today. It's a very (laughs) data kind of data centric approach. It feels like to this client, uh, Lackawanna County. And yeah, so Michael, (laughs) Michael jumps in when they talk about where they're going, going, because Jan's talking about them going to the Radisson. And he says, oh, I changed it to Chili's. The Radisson just gives off this vibe. It's like, oh, I'm doing business at the Radisson. It's kind of snooty. And then he tells us that Chili's is the new golf course. It's where business happens. Small Businessman Magazine. Turns out it hasn't actually said that. He has submitted that in a letter to the editor. What do you think is going on, Tyler, in this shift from the Radisson to Chili's? And do you agree with his take on the Radisson as being giving out a vibe, being kind of snooty? I mean, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think it's interesting. Okay, so, you know, the big thing over this episode that we're totally going to have to talk about is, like, gender (laughs) as it relates to deal-making. But what's interesting here is, like, kind of gender and class intersect in in an interesting way because... Jan is the one, you know, bringing out all the data and the graphs and the charts. And so on the one hand, she's sort of presented as the, um, you know, the Hillary Clinton, the, 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 woman, <laughs> the woman who is like too, uh, like too nerdy, too good at school. The, um, you know, the, uh, what I feel like there's like a word or a stereotype. Or yeah. whatever, you know, the, the kind of like overly prepared, overly competent. Yeah. Right. Back to Todd Packer calling her Godzillary. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. So she's, you know, her preparation is like, you know, somehow makes her too unemotional, you know. And what's interesting yeah. about that, right, is like at a, on a different day or in a different context, like she suffers sexism for be, if she's too emotional or if she's too personal, then she's not mm-hmm. smart enough or whatever, you know. So she's trapped. But on the other hand, she also represents corporate. And so her data-driven top-down approach is like not in touch with the region itself. Like he's like, oh, you don't even know where Chili's is. You don't, uh, (laughs) you don't get our whole deal, right? Like you don't know the actual on the ground thing because you're from corporate or whatever. And so to me, I felt like it was a really interesting class move to move it from the Radisson which I'm like, you guys aren't staying there, presumably, right? Unless that's where her hotel room is. But like, you would just go there to eat dinner, an overpriced meal. Like what hotel meal is going to be any better than 
some there must be one fancy restaurant one steakhouse or whatever in scranton but anyway so to me his choice of like shifting it to chilies was was clever you know at the same time as i'm talking now i'm like but chilies is a chain so it is corporate but it doesn't signify as that right it signifies as like unpretentious i don't know it does signify as unpretentious and that's kind of i guess an interesting thing about corporate pretentiousness because more pretentious restaurants are not chains you know what i mean like the restaurants that have the most status like it somehow becomes a lower status thing for it to be a chain which obviously we take issue with because we think chilies is so good um yeah maybe the reason it's so successful as a chain is because it's you know, the best cuisine America has to offer. I don't <laughs> that might be it. I, that might be it. That might be it. So I'm going to cut that out of this episode that I said. That. <laughs> okay, <laughs> to selves, edit. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this point you're making about the layering together of gender and class, and you use the word region too, that also for her coming from New York, and the kind of opposition between Manhattan and Scranton Mm -hmm. seems to be in there too. And yeah, I, I, uh, I love his change. I love his change to Chili's. I am slightly, what do I want to say? Worried about myself, maybe (laughs) the extent to which I will side with Michael in this. And I will kind of overlook the potentially sexist dynamics of it and the way that she being snooty kind of gets sidelined in it but right. also as a woman and I think I kind of will focus too much on the snootiness <laughs> not enough on the sexism but you can you can push me on that <laughs> well I think yeah I mean I think there is yeah it's a really interesting episode for this mm-hmm. reason like because she I don't know. I think that she's sympathetic too, right? (laughs) Like she knows how important this is and Michael is fucking it up like in some ways (laughs) or he could, his approach could very easily fuck it up too. So like, I don't don't feel like, yeah, anyway, no, I'm with you. I like, I totally get what you're saying. Cause there, it is interesting to see Michael like win (laughs) in Mm -hmm. a way, but of course that does mean like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like she can't, she doesn't have the freedom to be, personal in the way that he wants her to be but at the same time when she gets personal they're all like I love uh the client's response (laughs) it's (laughs) it's so bizarre but he responds so positively when she does open up and get vulnerable at Chili's (laughs) right right so there's something very charming too about like that um anyway uh because it's not as if Michael's approach is a conventional um I don't know like a conventional whatever would actually be in small businessman magazine you know he's like right. yeah <laughs> telling it's, it's, jokes seems kind of risky because like they are playing truth or dare at the table <laughs> it's a unique approach should we talk about their arrival at Chitley's? Uh, just one other thing I was going to say, I didn't notice this until now because I'm like scrolling back through the script, but mm-hmm. a lot of her data in charts, like she's looking up how many schools and hospitals there are. 
And so I didn't catch that later. He's going to say like, I already know how many schools and hospitals there are. So like part of her data-driven thing isn't just about competence. Actually, now that I'm realizing it, it's also like, she doesn't know, like she's learning for the first time. It's like, she's studying for a test. Yeah. But he already has the answers in some way. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I wonder to what extent, I, I wonder too, if he did know the number of schools and hospitals or if <laughs> yeah. he actually learned that from her, but repackaged it. Because oh, that's what a- it ended up being was some of the same information, but in a repackaged kind of delivery where oh, yeah. the form and the style was completely different, but it was also saying, we know how many schools and hospitals you have. Although in that case, not actually numbering them and yeah. not actually being specific, but just kind of claiming knowledge and familiarity. That's a great, oh man. So, I mean, now, now you are making this strong feminist critique of this episode, right? Because it's like Michael does that classic thing where men yeah. steal women's comments, but just <laughs> pretend that they're theirs or their insights or whatever, right? Yeah, um, and unfortunately though, he does it better. Yeah. Um, So, okay, wait, where did you want to take us? I'm sorry, I forgot. Uh, On the note of Jan opening up and her vulnerability, I want to talk about where this, the kind of origin of that, and this is when they arrive at Chili's and Pam, not Pam, sorry, Jan and Michael walk in and the client who's played by Tim Meadows and his name is Christian in the episode, is already there and so they go up to meet him and Michael introduces himself and he introduces her as Jan Levinson Gould Mm -hmm. and then she corrects him just Jan Levinson and he asks no Gould is Gould dead (laughs) and just (laughs) has such a oh man I don't know such an intense reaction and he seems really interested and yeah. concerned about where Gould went <laughs> but it exposes it at the beginning although I forgot I wanted to I wanted to also get into there the line right before that and this is just when Michael's talking to the camera and he's describing Jan and he says Jan Levinson Gould Jan is cold if she was sitting across from you on the train and she wasn't moving you might think she was dead <laughs> 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 I just think that that is a hilarious description of coldness. <laughs> I, and the problem yeah. that we're seeing in Jan's way of selling, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's so. Yeah, it is interesting, right? Like the um, the uh, uh, scene where Michael is like being like, "Wait, what happened?" Right? Like. it's bad in one way because it's like no pay attention to the client shut up I don't want to disclose my personal life or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, and then on the other hand it's yeah it is it does I mean I'm sure on some level we could read it as like Michael's interested in her or something but I don't has that really been a plot at this point like has he expressed any interest in her so so it actually seems like quite earnest and sweet in that way which is a um you know, I suppose goes to his like genuine or at least performance of genuine um, authentic interest in other people, which is good for yeah, that's you right. know, the, uh, for the sale. I mean, I guess this episode really is going to the heart of the like, you know, 
to sell something you need to be you need to present this kind of intimacy or whatever and like I don't know it's just such an interesting way that Michael then goes about it um I really love when she limits him to one joke <laughs> so then he calls Pam to read like jokes over the phone I don't know that really made me laugh and he has that thick joke book in his desk ready to go and my favorite thing is that when he calls he says to her I need you to go into my office and check some data <laughs> <laughs> so he too speaks the language of data but what he has her full is the joke and she first reads one and he's like no 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 no, no. I've tried that one not as funny as you think and then his reaction when she reads the one about a naval ship and something else and he starts laughing and he's like yes and you see him sitting at Chili's on his flip phone with Jan and Christian you can kind of awkwardly see them over his shoulder um in the background but he is just so delighted by this joke and the opportunity to tell it the joke he does tell is uh legitimately funny I I really <laughs> enjoyed it um but it also, okay, so there are two jokes in this episode that are some of my favorite things in movies and TV. Number one is in that scene when we don't actually really get the beginning of the joke. I feel like we've talked about this before, my like yeah. great love of cutting into the middle of a joke and just yeah. getting the punchline. And I love it even more when we don't even understand the punchline. <laughs> like it makes no, the characters laugh, but we don't get it. In this mm -hmm. case, we still can follow along with the joke, but um I really enjoy that but I also enjoy this is a bit earlier um but when they're leaving the office and he's basically saying like go home everybody <laughs> like take the rest of the day off and she's like you don't tell them to do that do you and I I don't know why but I love like and the office does give you a bunch of scenes of this when Michael has to like kind of drag keep revising what he's saying yeah. in the revising. moment that's right in yeah. front of somebody else and like when we all know the reality but he's trying to like cover <laughs> his ass I don't know why but that <laughs> kind of joke kills me every oh, time good. Um, yeah and, and he keeps kind of looking to her to see what the reaction is yeah. yeah when he's first like oh they just don't get much work when work done when I'm here no they get Last, I, I can't remember the way that <laughs> he's like, I can delegate, I can, uh, and so, yeah. but he just kind of like draws out the last word almost on each of those things he's trying out as he kind of gauges her reaction. But this thing of this about the structure of the jokes there is really interesting. So, the joke that we hear, and I think we don't hear the very beginning of it, right? But it's the one about what kinds of cars different people drive. <laughs> Right. Do you have that joke up? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where is it? Um, yeah, I got it it's here. Basically, people have different kind linked to their jobs. Different kinds of people have different cars. He just says, first guy says, well, I'm an astronaut, so I drive a Saturn. Like, it just starts oh. there without Ooh, yeah. the setup. Yeah. And what's, can you read the rest of it? Yeah. Uh, first guy says, well, I'm an astronaut, so I drive, drive a Saturn. And the second guy says, well, I'm a pimp, so I drive a cheap escort. And the third guy says, I got both beat. I'm a proctologist, so I drive a brown probe. <laughs> and Christian loves this joke too and thinks it's so, so funny. And yeah, it he is has awesome blossom coming out of his nose. Yes, exactly. So yeah, he really thinks it's funny. It is funny. 
Do you know what a probe is? Can you remember what any of these cars are? I basically I, never know what cars. No. I maybe will look it up so I know what a brown probe looks like in a car joke. I initially thought you meant like a an anal probe. I was like, well, I think oh. I can imagine what it looks like, but <laughs> no, the car. <laughs> okay, add to my list of research to <laughs> things to Google. <laughs> things to Google. Um, but part of the joy of it in this is there's the joke that's funny enough, but seeing them enjoy it and seeing them laugh at it is really funny. Yeah. And then I hadn't really thought about your your point about the structuring of the joke with the one before when he's calling Pam to ask for the joke and we don't hear, all we hear is the very beginning setup. And it's like, there's a, there's a transcript between a naval whatever. I don't even know. And I can't even understand what it's referring to. Yeah. But there's just, it's funny. Like the thing, right? So it's not reliant. It's not the joke itself that's funny, but the kind of beginning of the joke being delivered, the fact that she's reading it from a joke book to him and that he laughs so much and that he has kind of removed himself from the discussion in order to do research and get a joke. It's just so funny what it does with reference to a joke, but not actually like the way that it uses a joke, I guess. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, and the fact that, yeah, I, I don't know. It just kills me that Christian is so like genuinely, like he comes off as so like, I don't know, I guess earnest is the word of the day. Like he, you know, he's just like, oh no, like it's (laughs) so genuinely (laughs) tickled by it. And then Jan wants a vodka tonic, which I thought, um, I was like, yeah, I get it. I mean, this is the thing, right? Like, so Jan says, I thought this was actually very clever on Jan's part. And I feel like I either have said it or want to say it, but um, she is, you know, trying to redirect it back to the conversation. And she says, we would probably be upset with ourselves if we went this whole night without talking business. So Dunder Mifflin can provide a level of personal service to the county that the warehouse chains just can't match, which now as you're reminding me or, you know, helping me to see like, Michael's just stealing what she says. And Cause he says the same thing later. It's just the, he chooses the moment in which to yeah. say it differently. And she's yet again, I mean, I guess these are the sexist stereotypes. Like first she's like the mom who's like, mm-hmm. you only get one joke. You can't have multiple ones. And then she's pushy. Right. Or like, she's mm-hmm. too like, let's get this. I have to get the wrangle the kids and get them back to focusing on their task. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, putting aside whether the show does or does not, you know, play into that stereotype, which I guess it does, but what it does with it. At the same time, I just thought the phrasing, we would probably be upset with ourselves if we went the whole night without talking business was actually very clever. I was like, oh, yes, because yeah. like, how else do you redirect a conversation without yeah. saying basically like, you fucking guys, like we got to get it down to it. It's so hard. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we saw an ep- an, an example of that in um, some other episode. I can't remember who, but like very deftly articulating themselves to get out of a situation. I don't, can't, maybe it was Ryan. I don't know, but. I do not recall, but that you're right. I think with Jan, that's an excellent use of we rather than you or, you know, rather than separating herself from them to try and unify them with the we, mm-hmm. but she is 
wrong here. Like she does not feel out the situation well. And I think we can see how much logic alone or kind of having the facts and the data alone does not actually make a successful argument. And Mm. maybe we see that more than anything because Michael ends up having the same information in a lot of ways, but the way that he connects with Christian, the kind of persona that he also creates for himself, the vibe he creates then for Dunder Mifflin Mm. is really different. And I felt, did you feel like Christian warms up over the course of it? Because he didn't feel at the very beginning, like he was way in, but it felt like Michael wins him over. Yeah, there's now that we're talking about it, like there really are stages, right? Like mm-hmm. the he sings the baby back rib song and wants some rib. Like he they keep kind of ordering um, yeah. more things. I was slightly confused. At some point, they must have finished their dinner and then like gone to the bar. Yeah, Maybe yeah, chilies or something like that. I don't know, but um, but yeah, no, I definitely think that you're right that he warms up because then he's like talking about his dying mother or something is that it like yes Karen (laughs) yes and the funny thing is we don't know that it's in true this is this is an interesting thing too I think with the cutting back and forth between the office and them is because it cuts in in his story about caring for his mother as she's dying but we don't know until afterward that this is part of truth or dare (laughs) right right Michael says Jan okay your turn truth or dare tell us about your divorce which is truly insane to play truth or dare <laughs> in this context. What do you think works about it? Because it is insane, but is he onto something? Like, is there something about yes. that truth and disclosure that in the format of truth or dare comes across as insane, but that does work? I mean, on the one hand, I would say, uh, I really have questions about the limits of what kind of dares you can do in Chili's and, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so it sort of seems to lead you to truth, but so that, you know, putting that aside on the other hand, I think, I think about this a lot in teaching, actually, this is going to sound like a really strange parallel, but like, you know, we teach a lot of stuff where we're talking about trauma, violence. We're often talking about prejudice, racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're also talking about people's own intimate experiences of their gender or their eroticism or their political beliefs or just, you know, classrooms are spaces, I think, generally of like shame and anxiety. And <laughs> so I have always, I mean, for, I don't mean to like, I don't want them to be, but like, I think yeah. most of our experiences being in the classroom as students and maybe as teachers too, are just like so fraught. And so I try really hard to like make my students laugh a lot early Mm -hmm. on at me or at, um, you know, things that, things that we can say that it's okay to laugh at yourself, you know, this kind of stuff. And so like, for example, you know, one of my things early on when I'm trying to get to know their names is to ask them ridiculously pointless questions like, is a bagel a sandwich or not? And I ask each of them, you know, some whatever, <laughs> but like to elicit their like strong feelings and opinions about waffles for breakfast or whatever, you know, and then it, because it really does seem like the more that you kind of laugh and, or at least like kind of connect to the, um, to the ridiculous, mm-hmm. that then you're able to like, you know, have space where you can talk about these other. So I kept thinking about it in that way where it's mm-hmm. like by like, 
but now you're making me think too that's so, that it that it is like this difference between content and form or like rhetoric and uh logic or something you know that it's like he presents the same things but he does it in it but the, the form of how he presents it is really different and i guess the form is like the silliness the unpretentiousness is that what makes christian feel like oh i know you like is it about getting to know them Mm-hmm. or is it about vulnerability like I, yeah what is it what are, i don't know yeah. i'm kind of curious your thoughts here good you're right i feel like the, the vulnerability thing can be potentially powerful and in, in in bonding people to each other mm-hmm. but yeah it's like the the ethos part of the argument and michael kind of building up who he is and who dunder mifflin is so that it's not just about what they do or about the data or about the prices. Cause Jan wants to kind of go right to the bottom line. And that's the part two where he's listening while Jan is starting to kind of make the pitch about their service and asking about the bottom line. And he's watching her and you can see his face being like, oh no, this is not good. Which is an interesting kind of reversal because usually it feels like other people are around Michael and having that kind of experience and facial expression. And then it's when he interrupts her, then it's like, da 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 that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to go right to the numbers in the bottom line. And he basically then asks, did somebody say baby back ribs? And then starts them singing the song. And it's kind of like, we need to establish more common ground first before mm-hmm. we get into the money pitch part mm-hmm. so yeah. i guess what kind of image does he create then for dunder mifflin it's different than hers because if hers to start out he described her as cold if hers is kind of a cold corporate efficient let's get right to the point kind of model like what what image of dunder mifflin do you think michael creates that is persuasive Let's see. I mean, it's certainly unpretentious in mm-hmm. in its um, setting, right? And yeah. it's, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> this is a random thought, but I'm thinking about my friend, Laura, who says whenever she goes on <laughs> her secret to getting jobs, she thinks, is when she goes on the job interview and stuff, like, and they take her out to eat, she always orders dessert. And you know the rules usually say like don't order dessert you know whatever and she's like no like other people at the table want dessert so by ordering dessert you're creating it a space in which they can feel comfortable ordering dessert and so maybe that's like by ordering the appetizer and slowing it down and um that it like but it really depends right on the like social norms and context right so it's like the fact that I mean, it would be interesting to ask first, like, okay, what if the client was not a guy? Like, what if it was a woman? Would Jan have more success? Would Michael's approach still work? Um, But also, what if it was a vegetarian who doesn't (laughs) want to eat, you know, um, or a vegan who doesn't want to eat like fried, you know, I don't know, wings and (laughs) and and and, uh, what what what's the oh the ribs? I don't know. Um, That's right. The audience matters. this would work for me (laughs) me 100 and the fact that to your point about making people comfortable about kind of creating the space to make people comfortable 
the fact that what he's suggesting is baby back ribs, of course, that's part of the Chili's theme song or commercial song or whatever is about baby back ribs. But ribs are also such a messy thing to yes. eat. Yes. And so when it once the ribs arrive, also wait, side note, Michael knows the waitress's name. When oh, you know yeah. Oh, wait, Megan. And he pronounces it Megan, which I think is interesting. Megan, can we have an awesome blossom, please? Extra awesome. So I just love it that he knows her name. I think it's really sweet and shows that he is a frequenter of Chili's. But once they get the ribs, they're sitting there and Michael and Christian are eating them and, you know, like sucking the meat off the bone and Mm -hmm. it's kind of noisy. And Jan has a salad and she's sort of eating and is dainty. Ribs force a certain level of vulnerability in a way where you can't yeah. like you can't maintain that sort of containment of right like the body and of your physicality and of your messiness so there's something yeah particularly i don't know um effective it seems in ribs although maybe this is like one of those high risk, high reward moves. Like <laughs> I've been watching Olympic snowboarding. <laughs> One oh, of the things that the commentators describe is high risk, high reward moves where there are crazy, crazy numbers of spins and twirls, or they probably don't call them twirls, that you do out of the half pipe, but you're at a huge risk to fall. So like you can get way more points when you do it if you succeed, but you're at more of a risk to fall. And I feel like ribs are the high risk, high reward move of snowboarding where it can go really badly, but when it works, it works. I love this point about the kind of messiness of it that you're saying too, and the embodied nature of it, you know? Um, You can't eat ribs politely, right? Like you have to be, you know? I mean, I do think there's still this question in my mind about gender Yes. Um, and I don't know what to do with it, you know, other than to say, yeah, like it does certainly seem like, I can't remember, do we see Jan eating ribs too or not? Is it just no, a few guys? Salad yeah, see. Very kind of dainty. Yeah. They're eating the salad. And so in this episode, it's easy for me to not really sympathize with Jan there because she's sort of, <laughs> giving them this kind of side eye look as they're doing it too and being sort of I don't know coming across as kind of judgmental about the real right, eating right but it, then yeah. when they're at the bar you know she's just kind of got her hand on her chin sort of and she's seems I don't know kind of defeated and kind of exhausted by it and left out so it feels like on the one hand she is removed and she is kind of snooty like to Michael's worry about the Radisson but at the same time it doesn't feel like she I don't know could quite connect with them in the same way anyway right right so I don't know I guess I feel a little bit complicated about it well it's interesting how you can it depends I don't know it's just interesting in this moment or in this episode or in this show, at least for, as of right now, corporate is represented as feminine hmm. to a degree, or at least it's represented by a feminized like face. And hmm. that is interesting in the context, in the narrative that it tells about cor- what corporate is going to do, right? Like, mm-hmm. or what um, 
chain, you know, big chains are going to do. They're going to come in, they're going to undercut and then jack up the prices or something like that. And so it's like two guys who've lived here all their lives who are kind of like supposedly more blue collar, even though there's management, <laughs> one is management, one works for the government, presumably. Um, so yeah. So anyway, small town business is always, I, th- I mean, like, I actually think it's very clever and right that it's called small businessman or whatever the magazine that he supposedly reads. Yeah. Because I do think small business is so gendered and racialized as kind of like, Oh, white men, own these small businesses that keep America going, you know, and then (laughs) faceless corporate is, you know, it depends on the context and how it's going to get rendered. Sometimes it's rendered like in anti-Semitic terms, you know, other times it's this like faceless castrating thing. I don't know. I'm not saying that Jan like embodies all of that, but uh-huh. It's just on my mind, the, the corporate yeah. backdrop to this, because Christian is like, oh, you live right down the street or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael's like Kenneth Road, born and raised. But it did make me wonder, OK, what's Christian's deal in all of this? Like he represents Lackawanna County, but it's not clear that he's like an elected official. So mm-hmm. back to your question of like what makes his strategy work? I was like, well, one thing that I find kind of interesting is when two people stuck in positions they're like not the decision makers Mm -hmm. are able to relate to one another and make power work for them like how to put it like because Michael is not the superior she is and he's like oh I got you know I gotta prove to whomever what um I gotta uh what does he say like they're expecting me to make cuts but who yes yeah. The voters, the county. Yeah. But this horizontal relationship between two people stuck in a hierarchy. And it's like, hey, I'll help you out. You help me out. Like, yeah. A recognition of mutual. <laughs> yeah. Know, where they're both kind of like, they're both kind of stuck in the middle where they both need to make a deal. They both don't have the ultimate say or the ultimate control over right. the money. Right. Yeah, because even Michael's final line is like, well, corporate's going to go ballistic, but uh, you think we could, Jan? Like, so by presenting it as like, oh, you know, we're both so alienated or whatever. It's a very canny move. And so in that last, in that last moment when he says, do you think we can, Jan? Is he, do you think it's that he's getting her approval? Like he ultimately needs her kind of go ahead on it. It feels like in some ways he's also kind of drawing her in at that point because she sort of has had to be sidelined because she was going to screw up the deal. Um, but yeah, so it's, is it like he's getting her go ahead on the final deal and then kind of drawing her in to the closing? I'm not sure. Or is he performing, like underscoring his... Uh, lack of authority you know Mm. he's like not saying yeah we can do that we'll work something out you know he's saying like oh you know I gotta I gotta ask my superior you know but yeah but on the other hand that really underscores like oh all right we're giving you a real deal here you know we're working for it um yeah yeah it's interesting yeah that he pulls her back in and speaking of pulling her in then the kiss (laughs) yes 
The kiss. Okay, so should we go to the kiss? And then I'm also realizing we've not talked at all about what is happening at the office. We're at level midnight. midnight. But let's start from the kiss and then maybe because we can kind of work our way back into threat level midnight. So they are in the parking lot right after they've closed this deal. And this is making me think back to what you said about this being a new thing for Michael. Like there hasn't been talk of attraction to Jan and he seemed really taken aback and surprised when he found out that Gould was out of the picture but so they are in the parking lot and they're kind of like Christian pulls away I think he drives away and they're they're waving at him lots of stuff happens in the Chili's parking lot actually doesn't it I feel like yeah. we get lots of intense huh. moments there and Michael says nailed it come here and kind of brings Jan in to hug her and then kisses her but they're both they're, like they're both really excited it's a very consensual kiss it seems he said it's, it seems like a very consensual kiss it seemed that way to me I don't know am I did I misread it no I thought so too I thought so too yeah so what do you what do you think of this turn of events uh interesting <laughs> I guess, um, well, let's see. What do I think about it? I don't know. Um, now I'm like wondering, was it consensual? But I think it was. Like, she, you know, she reciprocates or he, I don't know. They kind of go in and um, and then she's like, let's go. Uh, yeah. Okay, what do I think about it? I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, we don't have enough like information to know what she is thinking or feeling. It mm-hmm. certainly underscores kind of our discussion about like all right is this is the episode basically saying um i don't know you know that michael's great (laughs) or this is his moment of greatness or something like is she is she turned on by his you know Mm. be you know sealing the deal or that's a great point and you know what i think that starts happening when her eyes light up when she registers that he is closing that deal Mm. yes i think I think the Michael magic really turns on at that point. This is the erotics of, of capitalism in action, right? <laughs> the eroticism of doing business at Chili's. Yeah, it is. Uh, but yeah. I guess I really liked the kiss because it leads to a very interesting post-climactic episode where it's like, you think the episode would end at that kiss in a cliffhanger, but instead... <laughs> We get, you know, them coming, her coming back to her car and the camera notice, her noticing the camera and Dwight. And then we get the phone call. Oh, oh we get uh, Michael being like, I'm not going to talk about it. Okay, here's everything that happened. Which yes. Is hilarious <laughs> and very high school. And then, um, and then we get the side of the, his side of the conversation. We don't hear hers or he's basically like, oh no, this is our fight. Like, uh, yeah. wait, yeah, like- fight of many fights <laughs> yeah and all leading up to his and jim kind of sharing this like women right or i i don't know i mean that's the only way in which i could sort of read it but that maybe isn't the only reading but yeah took that down it was a really interesting narrative downslide right like rather than michael ending on a high where he's like i closed the deal and i kissed the girl it's like yeah yeah. He has to basically be like, no, I didn't try to get you drunk. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause she's trying, she, she's there to like cut him off 
and knowing that he's going to take this way too seriously. And he is already thinking, oh, we're going to have to, you know, document this relationship with corporate. And he wants to go all official with it. And in terms of the power dynamics of this, you know, he becomes, he succeeds in that deal. He becomes attractive to Jan, I think in that moment, but then he's under his desk. Like he is so reduced by this phone call and he's hiding under his desk, like to be away from the, I guess, to get away from the camera, but they can still hear him and they still come around anyway. So when he is kind of curled up under his desk, basically begging Jan to be with him, uh, it definitely, definitely puts him in a lower, a lower kind of position there. And there's that look that you referred to. So this is the very last moment, the very last shot of the episode. Jim has just done an interview. And in the interview, he said, um, this is, this is after he had talked to Pam and said, you know, some might even say we had our first date last night and Pam denies him. I think she's being defensive. She tells him swaying isn't dancing. And he tells her, at least I didn't leave you at a high school hockey game, which is what Roy did Right in his interview then. So it's like, he has kind of, I think, pointed to this parallel between Jan and Michael and Pam and Jim. But then he says in his interview, it's not really a date if a girl goes home to her fiance. And so then he's sitting and he looks at Michael and Michael looks at him and they do this sort of silent eyebrow raised, like, uh, kind of, kind of look. And I found it sort of sweet. <laughs> I felt like Definitely. they were both kind feel like kind of, defeated and kind of hurt and sad about these women that they were interested in and I don't know so I I found their looks at each other their kind of silent look at each other to be a sort of sweet moment I did too I mean I I definitely was like yeah I mean I know I kind of said it has this kind of women right vibe I mean I don't (laughs) think it's only that (laughs) sorry (laughs) women am I right (laughs) But it's also maybe, you know, like they both have had these moments of um, pleasure, you know, of kind of getting closer to what they think they want. And then the next in the light of day that not being reciprocated or welcomed and, um, and feeling this kind of mutual downbeat alienation or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I do think, man, I'm not trying to like argue that this is a sexist episode, uh, but but it is definitely the case that like both Pam and Jan are kind of like, you know, um, represented as like, I don't know, rejecting them, you know, really quickly or something like that. And uh, but on the other hand, they have good reason to. Like Michael's <laughs> crazy and like jumping so fast with their relationship, you know, and all they did was like have a kiss and talk, talk, you know, and then Jim is fucking crazy too. He's like, oh, we had our first date. What the hell, man? Like, you know, she's in All right. I mean, is he I, wrong though? Is he wrong? He's not wrong, but, but like to call it a date, I thought that was bold. Be like, don't, commit, 
uh, high risk, high reward, high <laughs> failure rate. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> that's a great call. This this episode is about high risks, high rewards, and high failure rates. So let's see. I feel like I've got a lot of things here. So one thing that was striking to me is you said that this is sort of they have these great, exciting nights, and then in the light of day, it's disappointment. And in both cases, I think this kind of goes back to our discussion last time about Pam, when at the fight, when Jim picks Pam up and then Meredith sees him and then Pam gets upset and is like, put me down, put me down and gets really serious about it. It sort of feels like both Pam and Jan have a similar kind of, I'm being seen in the light of day, put me down kind of moment because Jan comes up So Michael and Jan have not come back to the office and they had gone out in the same car. So Jan's car is still there. Right. A taxi drops her off. Meanwhile, Dwight is up in the office looking out the window in his underwear, apparently has spent the night waiting to make sure that Michael got back safely. (laughs) (laughs) Which I feel like we could spend a lot of time on that too. But um, so she is being seen, like she's being caught in this, Thing with Michael and Michael is like a step down for her Michael's embarrassing and with Pam right. she had a lovely time with Jim last night but when he kind of I think calls it what it was fair he has to deny let me give you my strongest piece of evidence for this the candle so mm-hmm. they go up they're taking a break they're doing this table read basically of Michael's um script of Michael's screenplay for Threat Level Midnight, they go up to the rooftop to eat grilled cheese sandwiches that Jim made for her. And Pam brings a candle and she says, she lights it and she says, for the bugs. Mm. They are wearing jackets. It is not mosquito season. <laughs> he does not need a candle for the bugs. So that is a total cover. And I think it is just a straight up romantic move that she then has to come back and deny. What do you think, Tyler? I mean, I think that that's a problematic uh, <laughs> narrative. Uh, Fair. If the show, uh, I don't know. I always feel like I go to these reductive readings and then have to like, I don't know, think my way around them or sort of have, you know, be, but whatever. But like, isn't that a certain kind of like sexist narrative that like, women will deny it the next day like yeah, or they'll change you, their minds are uh, you accusing me of making a she was asking for it <laughs> <laughs> but in this case <laughs> um, no i i just think that um you know i don't yeah i'm not saying that the show is like com- conflating you mm-hmm. know all women with these two women but yeah, that that concerns me a little bit. On the other hand, I mean, this has been my problem with the Jim Pam plot all along where I'm like, does she know what's going on? She yeah. must know. So like what kind of unfair to him. I, I I felt really bad for him at that part. It's, it feels weird, you know, but it put aside like how about its representation of what romance is, though? And like, mm-hmm. it's definitely a classic romantic comedy thing, right? Where it's like one person is unavailable for one reason or another, the other person yeah. pines. And yeah. um, and so romance emerges in the yearning, right? Like that's definitely yes. what makes it like exciting and romantic to me, right? Is like, oh, they can't be together, but if only they could. 
Um, yeah. yeah, you're right. But I guess, I don't know. The one thing that I'll say is that uh, the shows, there's something very sweet to me about the show's understanding of great moments in your life or what mm -hmm. romance is. And it's like grilled cheese uh, by candlelight on the roof of work while morons dance around like cheap <laughs> fireworks. It's, yeah. you know, being in the Chili's parking lot in Scranton, Pennsylvania and having a kiss. And like, mm -hmm. that feels to me like, right. <laughs> like that is what, you know, romance isn't the Radisson and it's not great fireworks. It's, it's, yeah. you know, like, it's, it's where you're at in the present. And then like, you know, these, these small things become meaningful because you experience them, not because they're supposed to be or something. I don't know. So I yeah. found that it was interesting that Jim really wants to assert. He's like, it was more like, swaying but still romantic like he wants her to yeah. agree that this was romantic and she's like swaying isn't dancing and that's when he says he shames her at least i didn't leave you at a high school hockey game <laughs> <laughs> yeah. why does she stay with roy oh gosh i don't know i think it's just i feel like it's difficult to get unengaged yeah. And it's it's risky and it's messy to go from being engaged to not engaged. Not that it really would be catastrophic, but I think it feels maybe feels that way. Um, and maybe Jim would be another high risk, high reward. But about the romantic, Tyler, I love your point about the romantic moments in life occurring in Chili's parking lots. <laughs> and we have the really pivotal moments of both. Jan and Michael and Pam and Jim going back to the Dundies to our first Chili's location when in the parking lot at the end Pam is drunk and she says to Jim something like can I ask you something or can I ask you a question and she doesn't end up asking it but it's this intense moment where it feels like something that's been unspoken is going to be spoken mm -hmm. and then it isn't but it, it's interesting that with these two couples we get these moments of intensity and sort of transformation maybe in the parking lot of a Chili's yeah and then Pam, Pam and because I was like wait what are they talking about dancing and I think it's just when they were in the parking lot of Dunder Mifflin when he she listens to his iPod right like yes yes um so it's another parking lot too where it's like right it's another park the they're both in parking lots having these moments and when she asks him if she if he has new music she is extending the moment yeah you're right what is a parking lot <laughs> tyler this is a great existential question and i feel like there's a big thing going on with setting here yeah, yeah. what does a parking lot do i don't know i feel like we're gonna have to just keep thinking about this well, it's definitely a place of partings, right? It's the place you walk some, you walk there and then you get in your own car, yeah. right? So it's like yeah. partings are moments when you kiss or you hug or you say goodbye um, mm -hmm. or you, you know, and it's also fraught with the possibility of like, what if we didn't, right? Like, what if we didn't part, but we went together somewhere else? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. And they're also in, like the impersonal or, um even alienating 
in some way, right? They're like, they, all they do is hold these industrial cars or whatever. And mm-hmm. so they themselves are not romantic, but- Yeah, you're right, very unromantic. But much like the industrial space of the office, right? Is like, oh, within that space, things can happen that are mundane, but filled with emotion or meaning. I don't know. Yeah. It's as much as I've got. <laughs> I would love to kind of map out over the course of the office all of the things that happen in parking lots because it really feels like there's a lot that happens in the parking lot here and yeah I'm trying to think what else is it about parking lots there's the status that we get in seeing people's cars and what their cars mean you know so Michael's made a big deal out of a Sebring in season one, we had Jim talking about his Corolla and kind of warning Katie, like, just gonna give you a heads up. This is a really nice car. Right. And then there's also, I thought about this when Dwight is looking out the window and the parking lot is empty, and the, except for Jan getting dropped off by the taxi. And the first person who's arriving is Angela. And also what parking lots sort of show in who is there first and who is there last. And yes all that oh that's a great point oh yeah Hmm. okay so we're gonna need to really develop our analysis I think over the long run of the Dunder Mifflin parking lot plus Chili's parking lot I think yeah maybe just to go back like you know I, I don't know would you agree that the episode is paralleling kind of Jan and Pam or is it not like because their situations are very different. And for example, Jan is Michael's superior. He is insane. (laughs) (laughs) Like he jumps to stage 20 of the relationship or whatever. Like um, she was drunk and she's worried, you know, like she, she, you know, whereas with Jim and Pam, right. This is not their first romantic encounter or potentially romantic encounter this is definitely yeah I don't know I'm just trying to like tease out maybe what is going on in that look of the two of them at the end because their situations are actually quite different I suppose I don't know yeah you know I'm trying to think about this yeah like what are the parallels and what are the places where they depart and one of them seems like are both Pam and Jan actually processing some of their sadness about, and I guess disappointment in another man through their time with Michael and Jim. So Jan also has the pain and the sadness of just coming off of her divorce. And she talks about the fact that she wanted kids and he didn't, and she thought that would change. So there was sort of a whole expectation for her life with Gould, whoever Gould is, that's gone. And Pam has talked about the, in this episode too, it's in the kitchen when they're talking about worst first dates and Pam walks into this conversation and immediately says, oh, she will win because he took her to a high school hockey game. She went to the bathroom, they forgot about her and left and it was Roy. And so I wondered too, if, oh, and when they're up on the roof and eating grilled cheese, Pam says, this is the, I, I don't remember the last time someone cooked dinner for me. Right. So there's this sadness in that too about the way that Roy is Mm. in contrast to the way that Jim is. So it feels like she and Jan in different 
forms, but both bring a kind of sadness or disappointment about the men who they think that they're more destined, you know, like who they feel survived around. Oh, that's so smart. I don't know. I just walked into that. (laughs) (laughs) That's really interesting. Well, yeah, because like Jan's divorce is central to the whole episode. And that's what they talk about back at the hotel, right? Yes. Um, Yes. He's in both cases then, because then Michael is like her sort of emotional processing man where she gets to go, you know, she goes and yeah, expresses her feelings. She gets to kind of talk it out, which is similar to remember when I don't remember when this is, but when Jim said to it, like in one of his interviews, oh yeah, I'm pretty much Pam's go-to guy to talk about her problems like mm-hmm. work and Roy and well, those are pretty much her only two problems. <laughs> so they're both like this sounding board kind of safe guy. I mean, I definitely, yeah, we should come back to that because I'm like, it's interesting that on the one hand, you can sort of represent men as straight men as sensitive. Yeah. On the other hand, insofar as they are still like interested sexually or romantically in the object of, you know, uh, in their, in their, uh, in these people, basically, you know, in their, their, um, the the person that they're yearning for. But on the other hand, also, um, yeah, I don't know. It would just, yeah, it'd be interesting to think more about how it kind of manages that masculinity. Yeah. But I'm thinking yeah. too about um, uh, Jim's final line that you read already, but it's not really a date if the girl goes home to her fiance, right? Yeah. I really enjoyed that writing because I was like, oh, like he, the way it's said to us and to the camera is this genuine asking, like, you know, is it a date? Like, cause that's the, the debate that he and Pam are having, like they're interpreting it different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I found that was an interesting way of like kind of making the camera and the audience complicit in the assessment of what this was and what it means. Um, but we never talked about threat level midnight. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to say about it uh, before we pick our dundies of the week? Oh, Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I think this is an interesting sort of structural thing where we have, you know, a script within a script, like a play within a play yeah. uh, kind of situation. I think we learn a lot about Michael's wealth of creativity. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess his sort of fantasy for himself. You know, maybe we learn a lot about Michael's uh desires and thinking about himself in the lead role of agent michael scarf <laughs> <laughs> the dwit joke is is just amazing um where, saying, what, what was that what was that joke uh where it's dwight he like cha- he originally called the the sidekick dwight but then you know did a find and replace um but he missed one where he left out the h <laughs> Uh, remind me what did he um what did he change it to i'm forgetting the name samuel l chang oh yes yeah i would say that part of the episode didn't hold up as well the ryan's doing like an accent kind of sort of i think i was trying to place like what his accent was even supposed to be it felt like they were doing a vaguely you know quote-unquote asian accent or something but and is that just, did Michael, I was wondering too, did Michael somehow combine 
Samuel L. Jackson and what he take as like sort of an Asian actor by adding the name Chang to it. You yes, know what I mean? that's his idea. What was, did, didn't he have a character at the Dundies episode that was like a kind Ping. of, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, we talked about it with that episode, but it was, it worked slightly better for me because we cut over to, you know, an Asian family being like, what the fuck, you know, um, in this, we don't have really anybody kind of giving that look, as I recall, to Ryan. And so I was like, "Mm, is the joke here Ryan doing the accent or is it that Michael wrote it this way? And it just felt a little like not Mm -hmm. as, uh, not as sharp to me um so uh is it time for dundies i think it is time all right do you want to go first sure okay um my dundee for the week goes to michael this episode huge win for him um i hear that a saying in business is always be closing and so i would call this the always be closing award because he just locks down that deal I also want to give honorable mention to the client Christian because I thought he was fantastic and um, he really enabled Michael to shine. You know, if he had not been a receptive audience, this could have gone very, very differently. So what do you call that in sports when, you know, someone has a really good move, but it depended on somebody else? An assist. Ended on an assist. Yeah, so I feel like Michael really shined here, but he needed the assist of mm. Christian Bryant. Well, I I will second the shout out to the the to uh, Christian, um, and I also thought uh, Tim Meadows' performance was just really like great, um, one of the best guest stars they've had. But um, I'm giving the Top Chef Award to Jim uh, for his oh, grilled nice. cheese, his his office grilled cheese, and creating a very romantic uh date question mark on the um impromptu on the uh, on the roof of the building i thought that as much as i often uh don't like jim i found him to be charming i found him to his his romance was working on me this episode and it's not just because it's valentine's uh Good. It worked on me too. It worked on me. And I was like, oh, this is, I think, you know, these, there are certain moments where I get invested in their love plot and then other moments where I'm like, Mer. um, but this episode, the, the mixture of romanticism and, uh, irony or whatever was just right for me. And I felt his, his grilled cheese encapsulated that, uh, the, yeah. what's nice about <laughs> being in love or falling in love or whatever. So yeah, Jim was enchanting in that. He was, he was. All right, well, next episode, we'll be talking about uh, performance review. Any memories of this one? Any Anything off the dome? No, I don't think so. I think, <laughs> I think I'm just going to have to bring it that day. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember it at all, if I've ever even seen it. So, uh, well, I'm looking forward to it. Well, thanks, everybody, as always, for listening, and we'll see you next time. All right. Thank you. Bye.